0: Jesus said to her, "'You are right. "'When you say you have no husband, "'the fact is you have had five husbands, "'and the man you now have is not your husband. "'What you have just said is quite true. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'I can see that you are a prophet. "'Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, "'but you Jews claim that the place "'where we must worship is in Jerusalem.' "'Woman,' Jesus replied, "'Believe me, a time is coming "'when you will worship the Father "'neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem.' You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is for the Jew, is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You may take a seat. Oh, how are we doing this
1: morning? Oh, man, I love the launch of a new series. We are embarking on a journey over the next couple months exploring these encounters that people have with Jesus. Um, and, and encounters are such an interesting thing. I, I don't know if you ever run into uh, kind of a famous person or somebody you, you knew from a distance. I remember when I first moved to Portland, uh, I would meet my friends at Portland City Grill, uh, which is, was one of our favorite restaurants and it's the tallest building in Portland. And if you've been there, you park down below the building in the basement and you take this elevator all the way up and so I get there, and uh, I'm walking towards the elevator, and I hear somebody off in the distance say, "Hey, man, I, I don't know where the elevator. How do I get up?" Uh, and where do I go, oh, "Oh, it's over here. Follow me. Come with me." And I turn. And I finally look at it, and it's Brandon Roy, who uh, he had just won Rookie of the Year for the Blazers, uh, all-time Blazer great, uh, just behind uh, Damon Clyde. And I was like, "Oh, what's up, dude? Right? You know?" And he's like, "Yeah, okay." And so it's me and him in the elevator, right? And I'm like, "This is such a cool moment." I didn't know what to talk about, so I just talked about the Warriors. That was probably a bad idea. And uh, he didn't want to hang out with me after that. But it was like, oh, this is a moment. It was an encounter. I remember another encounter I had A Couple summers ago, there is a pastor who's been massively influential on me. A guy named Craig Rochelle. Uh, His church is basically is the one who kind of created the Bible app that many of us, the U Version Bible app that many of us use. And he's just always been very influential on me. He's in his mid fifties, and he's like buff pastor. He's kind of like if Sylvester Stallone went more Holy Spirit and less steroids. That's what it would look like. Okay. And uh, so I'm in Colorado Springs at this famous hotel called the Broadmoor walking around the grounds. And all of a sudden, door opens, guy walks through, and it's Craig Groeschel. And I was like, Pastor Craig. And, uh, you know, no shame, just say hi to him. And he stops and has a conversation with me, asks about our church, tell him a church, I'm a church planner. And he looks at me, and he goes, hey, you're pretty fit for a church planner. And I'm like, I received that word, Craig. I received that word, <laughs> right? It was such a moment. I literally, I'm kidding you not. I'm on vacation that night. I signed up for a five day membership at a gym in Colorado Springs because so I was like, yeah, yes. Craig said I'm buff, right? You know. Uh, when I first uh, graduated, I, before I was doing ministry, I was spending time building websites, and one of the first guys I had built a website for was kind of at the peak of his. Authorship and being well known, a guy named Donald Miller. He was starting a nonprofit. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz that was New York Times bestseller. It, it Blue Like Jazz actually put Portland on the Christian map. Before I didn't grow up in Portland before. Nobody knew where Portland was, but that book was written, and he writes all about Portland. So when I was moving, people were like, oh, yeah, blue like jazz. So I'm building this website for him, so I'd meet him at his house. Me and my buddy Justin would go to his house, and he was in the penthouse above the Selwood Library um, out, out in Selwood. It was this incredible home with incredible views, but he was a bachelor. And so I'd walk in there, and it was like this amazing home, but like looked like a bougie dorm room, right? you know, like bean bags, and like it was kind of kind of weird. And so we'd spend this time having these interactions, talking about this, you know, website and what it looks like. And I I'll never forget this moment. About third or fourth time I was over there. Where he's casting vision for this nonprofit he's starting, and he grabs a bag of Doritos and he starts pouring it on a plate like a fancy plate, okay. And then he goes in the fridge and he pulls out American cheese like the ones that are individually wrapped in like poison or whatever it is, and he starts like laying them out over. It. And he takes this plate and he puts it in the microwave, nukes it for 30 seconds while he's casting vision for mentoring the next generation, and then he opens it and he's like, oh, did you want some nachos? I'm like, that's not nachos. That's like melted death, you know? Like, what is even happening, right? We have these encounters. We aren't expecting them. Some of them, they are, um, they're awe-inspiring. Man, that, it was an awe-inspiring encounter. They, they lived up to who I thought they were. Some of them, frankly, uh, they're, they're disappointing, for all kinds of reasons. But here's what I want us to see over the coming months as we work our way through the Gospels that every single encounter with Jesus is life transforming. And what we need is not more knowledge or information or right answers. What we need is an encounter with the living God. And so what we're gonna do as a church is we're gonna journey through the Gospels because we too are longing for an encounter an interaction, a life-transforming moment with Christ. It's what we're craving for, praying for, and moving towards as a church, that we would encounter the living God in such a way that it brings wholeness and healing to our souls. And so as we launch this series, we're, we're launching and, and starting with this story of the woman at the well and a sermon called All Who Thirst." because we are desperately thirsty. And so as we get started, um, would you just pray with me? Lord, we are thirsty for your presence. We long for an encounter with you. And there are all kinds of barriers that we walk into this room with. Some of us, it's time and busyness. Some of us, it's it's burdens and wounds. But Lord, I, I just pray that you would just melt all of those away and The season of our lives would be about meeting with you. We are here to meet with you. And would you reveal yourself and teach us more about who you've made us to be as we work our way through your incredible gospels, Lord. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So when we come to this story, the first thing we learn and see is that Jesus longs for an encounter with you. We have all kinds of reasons uh, to think that, no, God's not going to meet with us. For some of us, uh, oh, it's too busy. There's other things going on. Others, uh, I have too much shame in my past. I'm too sinful. Others, uh, hey, encounters are for the religious people, not people like me. But this is interesting. The setup to the story says, now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, here's what I need you to understand theologically. Jesus didn't have to do anything outside of God's will. He didn't have to do anything. So when it tells us in the Gospels that he does something, we have to pay attention. But when it tells us that he had to do something, we should probably pay attention even more. Now, the reason I say this is because if you look at a map of the area and region at the time, and we'll look at the... The, relational, the relationships between the Jews and the Samaritans in a second, but the Jews would encounter and interact in such a way that they would actually go around Samaria. Their normal path is they would cross over the River Jordan and back over if they were going from Jerusalem up to Nazareth, okay? But Jesus takes his disciples right through Samaria to a town called Sychar, and he sits down at Jacob's well. Why? Because Jesus wants to meet with you. Now, there's all kinds of reasons why this would be a hindrance for Jesus to have an encounter with this woman. And in fact, we see it in this passage, number Look at it with me real quick. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? So the setup of the story is there was all kinds of reasons why this woman would believe that Jesus would not, the Messiah would not have an encounter with her. First, uh, they were bitter, the Jews and Samaritans were bitter enemies. This had gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Their systemic anger and racial tension. It started... Actually, when when the Samaritans they come from when when a group of Jewish people and the and um, Canaanites began to form a new group of people called the Samaritans, but not just a new group of people, a new religion. And so there's this tension in, in, in these moments. And in fact, in the Old Testament, in the story of Nehemiah, there's this critical moment where one of the sons or grandsons of a ruler, a Jewish ruler, a king, actually marries the daughter of a governor, a Samaritan governor. It's a, like an Old Testament Romeo and Juliet, and they're up in arms over it. But there started to be, it just builds. About 100 years before Jesus walked this earth, the Jews, they actually defiled and destroyed a Samaritan temple. And so years later, about the time of Jesus' birth, the Samaritans, they actively worked to get them back. And they what they did was they defiled the Jewish temple in Jerusalem by scattering dead men's bones all over this sacred space, okay? So you can imagine it just builds and builds and builds and then the Jews hate the Samaritans and the Samaritans hate the Jews and it gets passed on from generation to the point where some of them, they don't even know why they hate each other but it's just deep rooted, deep seated racial hatred within these two communities and so this woman is shocked. That a Jew would speak to her, a Samaritan woman. Second, this is actually a scandalous conversation, that Jesus, that a man would talk to a woman in public. Now again, this day and age, marriages were arranged by the family, okay? So they didn't have like jewishmingle.com that they would, you know, meet on. And so there was no need for men who would hang out with men and women to hang out with, who would hang out with women, to have interactions in public spaces. It was actually highly scandalous and inappropriate. It was usually seen as a sexual advancement. And so for a man to talk to a woman in public, everyone is looking on like, what is actually happening right here? So it's a scandalous moment. But not only is there the societal layer going on, but we know there's something going on in this woman's life. We know that she's an outcast. You know how we know that she's an outcast? Because it tells us that it was about noon when Jesus goes to the well. It's about midday, when the, when the sun is hottest. Now, women would go to the well with their jars every single day, but they would go in the cool of the morning, first thing at light. And they would collect the water they needed for the day, for the house, and for the children, and for the family. They would not go in the middle of the day, because it was the hottest time of the day. Who would go in the middle of the day? Somebody who didn't want to see anyone else. And so this woman, and then we learn a little bit about her past, we realize why. That she is actually an outcast, even among her own people. And so, we see all these reasons why Jesus shouldn't be having this encounter, yet none of them get in the way. And the truth is, if we're honest, some of us feel this as well. When it talks about being enemies, we feel like God is not happy with us because of how we lived our lives or the choices we've made even this week. Some of us just coming to church feels scandalous because of your friend group or your family. Some of you guys have not even told your friends or your family like, that you go to church on Sunday. They're like, what are you doing? You're like, soccer practice, <laughs> right? You know? You're walking in, people are taking photos. You're like, no, no, gracias, right? No, do not take a photo of me. You're, you're dodging them. I do not wanna be on your social media. Uh, it feels scandalous even in the world that you live in And and some of us also, even at church, we feel like outsiders. We feel like everybody is in and we're out. Everybody knows something that we don't. Everybody's seen and known and we're on the outs. And so when Jesus begins to speak with this woman at the well, he is aware of all of these barriers, yet he deliberately reaches across them. He doesn't care why, because he wants to connect with her. He wants her to experience a life-transforming encounter. And she is amazed, and we should be too. It's that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? Because was the shortest route? No. He had to go through Samaria because of it. in his sovereign grace, he needed to have an encounter with this woman. And in his sovereign grace, he wants to have an encounter with you. I don't know why you're here today or how you got here, but the reason is because God wants to have an encounter with you. He wants you to hear about his grace. He wants you to hear about his gospel. He wants to remind you that he sees you and knows you and no barrier that you put up is a hindrance to his goodness. It's crazy that God wants to meet with us, is it not? In fact, all of us, At one point, we're enemies of God, yet through the body of Christ and his sacrifice, we have been reconciled. It's scandalous that a holy and righteous God would want to connect and have relationship with sinful, unrighteous people, yet we have become made holy by the blood of Christ. All of us, at one point, were outsiders. And we may still feel like outsiders, but Jesus is saying, I am making space and room at my table for you. Jesus wants an encounter with you. I had this friend when I was growing up. She was in my youth group, and she would talk about this dream that she wanted. One day when she entered into the new heaven and the new earth, she would talk about when she gets to heaven, she just wants to skip rocks with Jesus just by a lake and just, just hang out and talk and catch up but she had this fear <clears throat> and her fear was that she would get to heaven and there would be this like long line right everybody's like okay how many decades until it's my turn right and she would just be standing there carrying her bucket of rocks right and it's just you know it's not this rational thing but it's just this fear like oh, God doesn't have time for me he doesn't have time for me and she shared this story with me one day during worship she was Standing there, singing, and God gave her this very clear vision of she was entering into the new creation, a new earth, heaven, and as she entered in, Jesus is standing right there, his nail-scarred hands, holding a bucket of rocks. And I believe this story of this woman at the well is evidence of how true that is, that we have a God in his infinite Sovereign goodness outside of space and time. He wants to meet with us individually and connect with us on that level. Now the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then he turns the tables on her. And this is what he says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, the fact is you have had five husbands And the man you now have is not your husband. Um, We need to admit and understand and be prepared that encounter will confront us. It's going to confront us in the areas in that we are falling short. So what is Jesus doing here, right? Is he trying to humiliate her? Like, hey, you know, you should ask for living water. She's like, okay. He's like, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. And he calls her out on this. Is he trying to humiliate her? Absolutely not. He's just crossed over all these barriers to have this encounter with her, okay? So seemingly, why then does he change the subject from living water to her relationship status? And the answer is he's not changing the subject. What he's doing in this moment is he's nudging her, saying, you are thirsting for living water, but you're thirsting for it in all the wrong places. What you're looking for is true satisfaction and you're looking for it in relationship after relationship after relationship. And this is why you come up thirsty over and over. And you guys, we're just like her. We may look for it in different places, but I want us to know and understand that Jesus wants to set us free. This is why he will confront us about the areas we're falling short. He wants to break us free of all the areas where our desires are falling short for what, of what we are created for. Now, we go into it and we think, oh, I'm gonna have an encounter with God and it's gonna be this peaceful moment with no pain or confrontation because, Je- confrontation because Jesus is our peace and he is our peace. But we have to understand sometimes for there to be peace, we must first go to war. And in particular, go to war against the evil and the brokenness and the sin within our own lives. See, we think about sin as this word for when we do naughty things, right? Oh, we did bad things and God's now mad and angry with us. But you guys, I feel like that falls short of the true meaning of sin as it la- it's laid out in scripture. When we read the Bible, The essence of sin is pursuing satisfaction or completion in anything other than God. It's idolatry. It could be relationships. It could be stuff. It could be purpose. It could be work. And we're taking these things and we're saying, okay, I want to find satisfaction in that. And it's not wrong, but we're taking it and we're making it an idol over God. And, And so I want you to be prepared. Like, let's long for this encounter, but I just need you to be prepared. That the encounter is gonna come with a confrontation. There's gonna be some moment where where God calls you out on something. Either you're reading scripture or it's through a friend who loves you and you're like, wait, how I'm living does not align with the way of Jesus. And in that moment, we have a choice. You know what choice we have? We have the choice to surrender to his goodness or we have the choice to hold on to that sin. We were a couple years into planting the church um, when there was a gal who started to come and attending Rise. And, and I was uniquely excited that she was coming to our church. You know why? Um, because she was in the middle of medication and surgery to change her gender. And I wanted her to have an encounter with Jesus. And so she would come, and she would come to group, and she would come on Sundays. And it wasn't as prevalent then as it is now, but she just was welcomed into our church, taught the truth, taught who God is, taught that she's loved, but she was created on purpose. And after a few months, um, she stopped showing up. And so one of our leaders sat down and met with her. And just said, hey, like you've been coming for a while. You said you wanted to follow Jesus, but now you've disappeared. What, what's going on? She's like, well, as I would come and I would sit to and listen to the preaching of the word, I realized that the teachings of Jesus are in confrontation and conflict with the choices I'm making in my life. And, and his response was, that's amazing. Like, don't we, don't we all want that? Like, oh, yes, this is the areas I'm falling short But then what she said next was pretty devastating. She just said, that's not the kind of Jesus I want to follow. And the truth is, we all have that choice. doesn't matter what our area is that we're falling short. I need you to know there is something in your life that does not align with the way of Jesus. And he doesn't want to shame you for it. He wants to set you free from it. But we have to surrender our lives over to Christ. Say, no, his way is better. Jesus didn't just come to pay the penalty for our sin. He came to break the bondage of our sin. He wants to set you free. And everything outside of Jesus will leave you thirsty, longing for more. C.S. Lewis, he, he put it like this. In his book, Mere Christianity, he said, God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. We are created to run on his love, on his grace, on his his goodness, on who he is. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. And what Jesus is calling us to in that moment and and pointing out to this woman is that whatever we worship outside of Jesus will leave and abandon us. It will leave us falling short because we are created to run on God himself. We are created to find our purpose in Jesus, our identity, our hope, our satisfaction in Jesus. David Foster Wallace was this brilliant writer and professor. His book, Infinite Jest, maybe some of you guys have heard of it, um, it was a New York Times bestseller, and it was listed by Time Magazine in one of the most, 100 most influential books of the 20th century. And one of the things he's most known for was this speech, this commencement speech he gave at Kenyon College in 2005. Now, he was not a believer by any means, but in his speech, he talks about worship in a way that I think is so poignant and so aligned with what Jesus is talking about in worship here. This is what he says. It was a little long, but I think this is helpful for us to hear. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism, said the atheist. <laughs> There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship Is there the kind of worship you just gradually slip into? Day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. I think David Foster Wallace, though he has no faith in God, is completely in agreement with what Jesus is saying to this woman at the well. You don't realize that but you are thirsting after me in all these wrong places. And they've become idols to you and you are worshiping him. Now the great tragedy of this speech is that just a couple years after giving it, David Foster Wallace took his own life because he never found the living water he was thirsting for. See, and here's the thing. If, if Jesus truly loves us, and he does, he will confront us on the ways we are killing our souls and all the ways we are looking in the wrong places. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this living water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What Jesus is saying is that Jesus is what you are thirsting for. For all of us. He's what we are longing for. See, God has filled this life and this world with actual good things for us to enjoy and fill our lives with meaning. Things like relationships and love, work and purpose, possessions and money, experiences and delight. These are not evil things. They are actually good things. But we take good things and we make them a God thing. And that is idolatry. What we need in our life to have meaning and purpose as we need Jesus to be the center. It's not get rid of relationships. It's not don't work. It's not don't have possessions, not don't have experience. No, have Jesus at the center of all these things. If Jesus is the center of your relationships, then your relationships are marked by grace and love and forgiveness, and they have a deeper meaning, do they not? If Jesus is at the center of your work, it has a different purpose. You're joining him in the kingdom and in restoring all things. If Jesus is actually the one who has given you all that you have and possess, then you are merely a steward for his kingdom purposes, and there's a deeper meaning for God's glory and your joy and other good. If Jesus really meant what he said, when I came, that they may have life and life to the full. Then he wants us to have experiences that are full of delight and full of his fullness. But he has to be at the center. And the only way for Jesus to be center is we have to understand that all these other things, they are lesser. And Jesus is greater. When I was younger, I had this friend who told me this story about taking his kids to the beach. He, he, they, they grew up in Michigan and so They'd never seen the Pacific Ocean. He takes them to the beach, and the kids are running around doing what kids do at the beach. You know what they do at the beach? They start collecting things, right? Like, look, 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 look. look. Oh, a Kit Kat wrapper. Oh, I'm so glad you're collecting amazing objects, right? And so uh, he said his kids start going around and they start collecting these shells, but not like whole complete shells. Like the Oregon coast has whole complete shells because nobody goes to the Oregon coast, but they were in California where people, you know, are walking around and they're just crushing all these shells. So it wasn't like shells. It was like bits. It was like shell shrapnel. You know what I'm saying? Like you've seen these. Like Sally was selling shell shrapnel by the she shore, Or that. You know that. Like it's just these. Sh- sh- and they're like putting them in their pockets and they're in their hands and they're just like, you know, all these like gross like ocean organisms and they're just running around. And finally, off in the surf, uh, he sees this object and he's kind of looking at it, like, what is that? Is floating, you know, along the surf and. It, and he looks closer, and it's, it's a starfish. It's a dried-up starfish, whole, complete, floating on top of the water. And so he does what any good parent does in that moment. He looks at his son, he says, go get that. Right? <laughs> And so his son is going out, you know, in the water, and he kind of goes halfway in, and he's, he, you know, just acting all weird and strange, and he turns back, he's like, I can't get it, he's like, go get it, right, and he goes, and he kinda, I can't get it, he's like, go get it, or no dinner, you know, right, you know, so he goes out there, and finally, like, he gets near it, and he won't grab it, he's just being so weird, and he comes back, and he's like, what is happening, he's like, I can't get it, because I can't swim, and I can't grab it, and he's like, why, he's like, because my hands are full of shells, <laughs> So he gets down and he takes his kid's hands and he empties out these broken, (laughs) useless, worthless shells and he frees his hands to go out and get this starfish. And I think about that story a lot because I think there are so many times in my life where God is like, I have something so good for you. But My hands are full of broken, worthless things that I'm trying to find satisfaction in. And Jesus is telling us, I am who you're looking for. You're looking for me in all the wrong places. But I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am God, take on flesh and blood and you will only find true satisfaction in me. And so here's my call. You guys, would you come to the well? God wants to meet with you. There are no barriers that he will not break through or break down. There's nothing that disqualifies you from an encounter with Jesus. But it's going to be confronting. And there's going to be things that you have to give up. But let me tell you, you are thirsting for and longing for in this life. You are searching in all these other places. It's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the only one who can ever quench our thirst. And so I, I want to give you a few ways as we enter into this kind of new season, fall and get in our rhythms. Here's just three rhythms I want you to have in your life. Here's the first one. Um, I want you to read the Gospels. Maybe you've read the Gospels before, maybe you've never read them, but day in and day out, man, would you, would you pick one of the Gospels, maybe the Gospel of John, and just read these stories over and over and over. Spend time, ask Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you meet with me as I read the gospels and I read these stories? Second, um, I want you to come to the gathering of God's people. Uh, each and every week that we have, I wanna invite you to, to come back and hear these stories, hear the word, hear, have an encounter with Jesus and long to meet with him gathering together with God's people. And third, something we're launching today that is so important, I want you to gather in groups. And we are launching our city groups and we, because we spend each week opening up about our story, how God is moving in our lives and how we can be known and be encouraged what it means to follow after Jesus as a disciple. And some of you have been coming for a while to church as the crowd but I want to invite you to gather in as the church, to meet with people and to be known and have connection and fellowship. There are people who long to be with you. See, and as you come to his word for guidance and revelation, and you come to him in prayer and experience his presence and his power, and you come to his people for his family and his love, here's what you're gonna find. A humble, humble, gentle, loving Messiah who became thirsty that we might find living water. See, this is the most incredible part of this passage is that Jesus was thirsty. Why did this woman get saved? It's because Jesus was thirsty. Think about that for a second. The creator of all things, the creator of oceans, the creator of juice and wine, the creator of springs and rivers. He took on human frailty, entered this world, and experienced human thirst. And because he experienced human thirst, he was able to have an encounter with this woman on that day. That's why. And here's what's so brilliant about John as he writes in his gospels, okay? This is he ties these ideas again. This is not the last time that you hear Jesus say that he's thirsty. Near the end of the gospel, as Jesus hangs upon the cross, he says those words again. He says, I thirst. But this time, it's not just for water. This time, he's thirsty because he's experiencing cosmic separation from his father as he bears the weight of our sin. Sin separates, and it says, tells us in Romans that he became sin. He that knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's because Jesus experienced cosmic thirst on the cross that you and I can have our spiritual thirst satisfied. See, that's what's so incredible about Jesus, and when we understand What he did and why he did it, our hearts, they turn away from the things that enslave us and towards him and worship. And so we surrender our lives. This is the gospel. And so I just want to end with this. The worship team is going to come up here in a minute, but I want to end with the end of this story because it actually continues on. And I feel like this is the best part. It's just the culmination. Here's what it says in verse 28. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And it says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. They begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, But because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. You know what's so incredible to me? This Samaritan woman in a Jewish society, in a patriarchal society, who is outcast among her own people, who is disregarded and disconnected and has to go to the well at the heat of the day just so she won't see anybody she becomes the very first evangelist in all of human history. Why? Because she shares her story. And as she shares her story of her encounter, others say, I want that kind of encounter. I wanna meet that kind of Christ. See, Jesus wanted to encounter so that her life would be flipped upside down, but also so that all of those in her village, that their lives could be upside down too through an encounter with him. See, this is the story of the church. You realize this, right? In Acts chapter one, as Jesus is leaving, he sends out his disciples. He sends them and he says, you're gonna be my witnesses. Meaning, I need you to go share the story of how I've changed your life. I need you to go witness to the fact that I am the Messiah. I need you to go share with others that I am the living water. And and so as we walk through this journey together, church, my hope is that you would have an encounter with Christ. My hope is that you would continue to have an encounter with Christ. But here's the other thing I hope, that you would get the boldness and the courage to start sharing your story of transformation so that others would come around and say, I'm thirsty too. And if Jesus can quench in that way, maybe he can quench me. So here, here's how we're gonna end our time. The worship team's gonna come up in a minute and we're gonna, but I'm gonna get, they're gonna play and I'm gonna give you a few minutes uh, to write your story. And, and, and when you came in, there's these cards on the table. I want you to grab that and there's pens, cards on your chair and there's pens kind of all around. And I want you to just write a bit of your story of how Christ has transformed you. For some of you, it's gonna be, this is who I was and this is who I am now. For some of you, it's actually a specific area. For some of you, maybe it's a specific moment that you had an encounter. For some of you, you are here longing for an encounter. You're like, I haven't had an encounter. I want you to write, what would it look like for you to have an encounter? But, but I need to give you a heads up because we're going to do something with these, okay? I want you to write your name, and at the end, on your way out, you're going to turn them into the prayer team, okay? So I'm warning you ahead of time. (laughs) I would love for you to be willing to share these, because we want to start sharing these stories as a church. Man, I can't even tell you the conversations I had after the last service with people who were like, man, this is what Jesus is doing in my life, because we are called to be witnesses. And so I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna give you some time. Lord, we long for an encounter with you, one that would change our lives. Lord, we thank you for the story that you long to meet with us. That there is nothing that gets in the way. And Lord, I just pray that even as we sit and reflect for a couple of minutes, that it would be worship unto you as either we are longing for the life-transforming power of an encounter with you, or we're reflecting on, man, how our story is different because of how you've changed us. Would this be a healing and hope-filled time, just reflecting on your goodness and your grace? And Lord, I, I just pray as we even share these stories as a church, would you use these in powerful ways that we could be witnesses to your goodness and your
0: grace. We pray all this in your name.